This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School. This is Knowledge at Wharton on Business Radio. Here's your host, Dan Loney. There is a new pattern moving forward in the medical field. Deals are being made between the health insurance companies and the drug makers to ensure that the consumer is getting exactly what they are told. For example, if a drug does not reach the level of effectiveness it, be, it is promoted to having, and then both the consumer and the health insurance, health insurance company could be receiving discounts against the original price. To take a look at what's going on here in this shift, Wharton's Patricia Danzen joins us on the phone, as well as Jack Hoadley, who's a research professor at Georgetown's Health Policy Institute. Jack, Patricia, great to have you both on the show. Glad to be here. Thank you very much. Uh, Patricia, when did this idea really get, get started, tossed around as a possibility? The idea of having some link between price and outcomes has been actually used, gosh, at least 10 or 15 years ago. It took off uh, very slightly and has not spread widely. I think now we're seeing a renewed interest in it because it's certainly true that the data systems that are needed to track the outcomes are much better than they were when it originally started 10, 15 years ago. And so there may be more hope now of using it in a more consistent way. Jack, is it just specifically the data, the, 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 the ability to track this, that is the most important avenue in, in terms of bringing this forward now, once again? I think that is a critical reason, but I think it's also probably triggered by the increasingly high prices of drugs. And so when you see new cholesterol drugs on the market that cost $15,000 a year, uh, whereas the previous generation of drugs to treat cholesterol were more like two or $3,000 a year and when available as generic drugs, even less. I think that gets the attention of purchasers to figure out, is there a way we can make sure to only use those drugs that really work well? Now, there's a, a proposal from uh, what I understand and what you passed on to us that, that links in Medicaid part, uh, Medicare Part B, I should say, uh, with the type of proposition we're talking about, correct? That's right. There's a um, proposed uh, demonstration, uh, an experiment, in effect, uh, that's being proposed by the federal government to try these kinds of value-based uh, contracting arrangements uh, for Medicare for treating uh, for the use of drugs that are administered by physicians, so chemotherapy agents and other drugs that are physician-administered. Uh, this is still just a proposal that's gone out for comment. The comments have come back, and, and the federal government will have to take a look at um, how it's going to go forward or if it's going to go forward with that. What are the concerns, Patricia, even with this increased technology and the ability to follow the data and follow the, follow the results, what are the concerns that, that potentially should maybe be considered if we're talking about making this a more common practice? Well, one of the concerns is in the U.S. healthcare system with a plurality of insurance companies, the long-term effects may not be, in fact, tracked because the patient may have moved to another insurance company. And so these sorts of arrangements have been used more extensively already 
in some of the European countries uh, and also to some extent in Canada where it is a single-payer system and the issue of patients moving in between insurance companies and therefore the long-term effects not being tracked is not as much of an issue. So that's one of the big concerns the insurers have, that they may not in fact get the, dis- the discounts that might be due because the patient will have moved on to some other insurer. Jack, any other concerns you have? Yeah, I think that that's a good one. And, and you know, it makes a difference whether a particular drug sees its response uh, quickly uh, whether there's something you can measure, say, within the year uh, to determine whether a patient is responding. But for a lot of the drugs that we're talking about, a lot of drugs that are out there, uh, the clinical response to that drug may be something that takes uh, multiple years, and that's what sort of triggers the kinds of issues that Patricia mentioned. 844-WHARTON is the number if you'd like to jump in and ask a question uh, about this. Uh, this Well, we're seeing it as a new approach, but as Patricia and Jack mentioned, it has been around for a few years. 844-942-7866 is the number to give us a call. I would think, Patricia, from, from a consumer's perspective, uh, to see this brought forward, and even though it's been around for a while, most consumers would have to feel a little bit better uh, about the industry if they are really taking this to this level at this point? It's certainly a good step in the right direction. There is obviously the question of whether first the, the actual outcomes are tracked, then whether any rebates that are subsequently paid by the manufacturer to the insurer yeah. actually reach the patient who initially paid the premium, because again, this may occur over multiple years and any rebates that are paid to the insurer aren't immediately passed on to patients in terms of lower co-pays. So actually better for patients would be an approach that takes into account the outcomes in setting the initial price of the drug and that's more the approach that is widespread in other countries. I was going to say, but it, it doesn't seem like from, from the start of this conversation that at least right now, the the prices that most people are paying for drugs would be affected. It would really be a rebate that would come back to the insurance company. And whether or not it got to the consumer, that's that's still to be determined, Patricia. I believe so with most of these plans. Jack, yeah. Jack go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, and, and I think, you know, one of the challenges is how do you sort of take advantage, how does the consumer get some advantage from these savings? So one of the ways that can potentially happen is if the health plan's costs are, are lower when the, when, the, when the discount or the rebate is paid, if the drug has been less successful than, than uh, promised, that may lead to a lower premium over time. But, you know, the particular consumer who took that drug who may have had a high copay uh, for taking that drug doesn't necessarily get a benefit unless plans come up with some kind of arrangement for rebate sharing. And then you would have all the issues of when does that occur and so forth. Obviously, part of this is to try to to, to navigate the uh, challenges of, of when drugs are expensive and their potential results are uncertain is what's the right way to get the right drugs to the patients that need them. So maybe in some cases this helps patients get the drugs they need because there's some moderation, potential moderation in the pricing. Um, But that is 
part of the challenge that we're all facing with as we watch the rise of drug prices. And there's also the the issue of the patient themselves in this process, Jack, as well, because they obviously have to stick to the regimen of the medicine that, that is prescribed to them by the doctors. And they have to play, I, I would think, a, a small role in terms of the collection of this data and being able to you know, be in touch with the insurance companies or the doctors or whoever is going to be doing all of this data collection. Yeah, presumably the, it's the it's the physician for that patient that's going to monitor progress. Many of these drugs are things that should be monitored anyway. So if you're taking a, a chemotherapy agent, you're continuing to see your oncologist, yeah. and and they're going to be already measuring for you, for all kinds of reasons uh, your progress on the drug. If it's a cholesterol medication. Uh, they're going to be presumably monitoring your cholesterol counts, yeah. um, but also monitoring your cardiac health. One of the challenges is, you know, do we structure these rebates based on uh, surrogate markers like a cholesterol test to say, is your cholesterol number down, or on actual improvements in cardiac health, heart attacks avoided or other kinds of cardiac events avoided or made less serious? And some of these are based on sort of those surrogate markers, which are not necessarily the ideal way to look at this. 844-942-7866 is the number if you'd like to jump in and ask a question. Our guest, uh, Patricia Danson of the Wharton School, and also uh, Jack Hoadley, who is a research professor at Georgetown University. Again, 844-942-7866. Patricia, Jack mentioned cholesterol drugs, which I guess is one of the areas of focus right now, potentially uh, in this uh, in this type of proposition. Explain why cholesterol drugs really are one of the areas of focus. Two reasons. I think one, Jack already mentioned, that these new drugs for cholesterol are much more expensive than the older drugs that now are available generically and therefore very cheaply and work for the great majority of patients. Um, the second reason that I think we're seeing this sort of thing in particular classes is that particular classes of drugs do have either actual outcomes or good surrogate markers that are measures of outcomes. So the other therapeutic area where these outcomes-based pricing arrangements are quite common in other countries is cancer, where right. something like tumor shrinkage can be measured with reasonable accuracy or recurrence. So that these arrangements work best where there is a good a predictive short-term surrogate marker, and cholesterol level happens to be one of those. In several cancers, there are good markers. I believe you, you were talking as well a little bit earlier in the conversation about about this process compared to overseas. Is this a more common occurrence in other countries right now? There are two ways other countries approach it. One is, in general, other countries will include measures of incremental outcomes. In other words, how effective is the new drug relative to the existing drugs in setting the price of a drug? And so that affects the actual price. Then the idea of tracking patients to see whether the effectiveness is actually what it was promised to be is something that is used less extensively just because it's, it's much more costly and much more time-consuming mm-hmm. uh, and takes these long time periods. But that is used uh, in the U.K., in uh, Italy, in Canada, 
especially for cancer drugs, which are so expensive, and where there are good surrogate markets, and the patients are being tracked by their physicians on a routine basis. This is a, a business model uh, that, that seemingly has promised, Jack. Uh, in terms of putting this into an effective pattern and actually getting it up and running the way that it needs to, what kind of a time frame are, are we really looking at? I mean, it really depends on, on the specifics of the situation. I think, you know, there are drugs where results are somewhat uncertain, um, and that is one of the areas where a health plan might be particularly interested. You know, they're saying this is an expensive drug. Mm-hmm. We really don't have good evidence yet on how effective it's going to be or on how, how effective it's going to be in various segments of the population. And so, you know, their temptation is to say, well, we certainly simply won't cover that drug. We'll, we'll stick to the old, let's, so let's take that cholesterol example. Uh, you know, we'll stick to the less expensive drugs and, and simply not make uh, this new expensive drug available to, to the plan members that we have. But if the manufacturer is willing to come to the table with, a, with a, one of these kinds of arrangements, they might be more interested in doing that. It doesn't necessarily take a huge amount of time to put an agreement into effect if, right. if both sides, you know, agree on the terms. But what takes time is identifying sort of the drugs for which this might work well, where the competitive environment suits it, where the sort of clinical indicators of the drugs suit it. Uh, it's also going to be more difficult in the public sector plans. So in, in Medicare drug plans that are, that are the private plans that offer drug benefits to Medicare beneficiaries or in Medicaid, uh, uh, which offers uh, drug benefits to lower income folks, there are, there are some regulatory uh, rules out there that make these kinds of arrangements either impossible or difficult to do. And so some in those cases would require regulatory changes, potentially changes in law, but at least changes in regulation. So in those environments, it definitely would take more time. It is interesting, Jack, and I'll throw this to you and then Patricia, you as well, is the fact that we have this issue that that obviously is being focused on. Obviously, I'm sure you've also been following, and we're going to talk about it later in the show, the fact that Congress is really focusing on uh, the problem of opioid addiction. But overall, we're talking about, Jack, it's seemingly a time where now the, the medical insurance drug areas are, are really coming into even more focus than, than we've seen in quite a while. Yeah, and I think that's driven a lot by by some of the price trends. You know, we had a period of of uh, almost ten years when drug price growth uh, was not so great. We had a lot of situations where uh, very important drugs used by a lot of patients uh, suddenly had generic uh, alternatives available, and so we actually saw in many sectors of drugs, uh, prices coming down because of that shift to generics. What we've seen in the last couple of years, and the poster child for this has been the drugs to treat hepatitis C, is the introduction of a lot of new drugs um, at higher prices and kind of a slowing of that shift to generics because many of the the drugs that were introduced in the 90s and early 2000s now are already available as generics. And so these new drugs, uh, cancer drugs, hepatitis C drugs, the cholesterol drug we talked about, multiple sclerosis drugs, uh, are all drugs that uh, uh, are coming at high price tags, and they're starting to put new tensions on, on both public and private payers, and that's leading to, to new ideas for how to d- address prices. Patricia? Yeah, I think I would totally agree with Jack there and just add that 
the rise of drug spending and healthcare spending more generally, you know, puts puts pressure on employers in the first instance. It puts pressure on federal budgets. And so any payer that has uh, any sort of requirement to meet budgets is very aware of what's happening uh, in the pharmaceutical sector with this flow of new drugs that are some of which are very high priced and the tailoring off of the patent expiries on the older drugs. What about the effect on on this specific move, though, the the value pricing uh, on the doctors themselves? Uh, You know, they they obviously play a role in this and and a very important role uh, in this whole process, Patricia. Well, one factor that does slow the adoption of these outcomes-based arrangements, I think, is that if it does entail time costs and extra work for the doctors, for their assistants, for the hospitals, in order to report additional outcome measures that wouldn't normally be part of the patient record, Mm -hmm. then there is some resistance there, particularly if they're not going to benefit from any rebates, if the rebates are going to go to uh, to the insurance company. And so with one of the arrangements that existed in the UK with one of the cancer drugs, the arrangement was that when, you know, if the hospital validated that it hadn't worked, then the company would restock the hospital. So there was a direct benefit to the hospital mm-hmm. rather than the benefit being going to the payer. Jack? Yeah, and I think, you know, physicians obviously are the ones who prescribe the drugs and you have this <clears throat> particularly complex array. You have a patient who's facing some financial responsibility. You have a doctor who's doing the prescribing. You have the manufacturer who's setting the price and perhaps uh, uh, helping to arrange one of these value-based contracts. And you have the insurance company who's trying to decide which drugs are eligible for coverage. And so the doctors are clearly part of the overall story. But as Patricia said, they're not sort of financially involved for at least uh, the kinds of drugs that we go and take orally and pick them up at the drugstore. It is a little different for the physician-administered drugs. And I mentioned earlier the the Medicare potential demonstration that's been proposed. Uh, That affects the doctors more directly because they are are acquiring the drugs, so they're affected by the pricing and could benefit uh, by one of these arrangements. Then they've got to get involved in some way in those settings. So, you know, partly it's going to depend on whether we're talking about oral drugs that people obtain through their pharmacy or physician-administered drugs that they, that they get uh, at, a, at a clinic, at an infusion center, uh, or a hospital. And you were a part uh, of a forum, I guess, with, the, with the, the people at the Pew Charitable Trust uh, talking about this as well recently, correct? I was, and it was a good discussion there of some of the, the different pros and cons. And this, this particular demonstration has got a, a larger set of things than, than just the particular part that we're talking about now. Right. So it involves some changes to the payment formula that have been uh, quite controversial versial politically. Uh, and uh, CMS, the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services, has a big decision coming up on whether to go forward with this demonstration and how. But but while the first part of that demonstration, the first phase, was the, the price formula changes, the second phase was where they had a lot of interesting ideas 
about things including these kinds of value-based contracting arrangements that they think could be uh, suitable in certain kinds of situations. Is this something that you think we could see happen uh, here in the next few months, or is this going to have to play out over a couple of years' time? The... the, um, the federal proposal in particular would be scheduled to go into effect either later this year or early next year if they go forward after right. they, they review their public comments. So it is definitely something that, that could happen, again, with a political decision having to be made first. Well, and I, that's that was kind of the, you know, the gist of what I wanted to get at because of the fact of the timing. And, you know, we're obviously in an election year and whether or not that could potentially happen with all the kind of the, the, the outside influences that are going on right now. That's right. I mean, there'll be a new president come January and a new secretary of health and human services and a new head of the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. And so, you know, there will be a question of whether they try to put this into effect uh, at the very end of the year under the current administration or whether then it gets delayed and and, uh, uh, has trouble going forward uh, after the election. Patricia, do you think we are going to see a time, and and maybe this is a little bit uh, of my head in the clouds on this topic, but do you think we're going to see a time in the next several years where these stories we hear about the just incredibly soaring profits uh, of drug makers, are are they going to change at at any point? Are we going to see them reined in at any point here in the next several years? Hey, I'm a health economist, not a political uh into the future. I think clearly it's a hot issue right now. Clearly it depends on the alignments in Washington, and there are pretty strong pressures on both sides of this. But I think that the really important thing for everybody concerned is that if there are attempts made to streamline the way that prices are set, that it is done in a, in a sensible way that really does preserve incentives for R&D, but does also provide some sort of relationship between prices and outcomes. And so, in, you know, in that perspective, I think even though this is something of a baby step, uh, it is moving in the direction of trying to bring some quantitative measure of outcomes into the decision on prices. Jack, what about you? Yeah, I think that's that's critical is the relationship of, of value uh, in this equation. And, and, you know, we we look at a lot of the drugs and, and, you know, the profitability of the drug companies, you know, I think like Patricia says, is a bigger political issue. But underlying it is, you know, we've got a lot of new drugs coming onto the market. Some of the drugs, like the drugs for hepatitis C, seem to be clinically really significant, important advances in treatments mm-hmm. uh, for people that have those particular diseases. For other cases, there are drugs out there that, that maybe don't have that much of a clinical benefit. They're not that much better than some of the existing treatments, and yet they still come with a high price tag. So our ability, whether it's done through these kind of contracting arrangements or by through some other mechanism to try to think about how do we match the value of the drugs to the prices being paid and how do we make sure that that we pay for good value and I think that's the challenge more broadly in our healthcare system whether we're talking about drugs or whether we're talking about hospital care or physician care or anything else is how do we do a better job of getting good value. Maybe this is a little bit of my sarcasm bleeding through, but I would think, Jack, that if you did a survey of a 1,000 people just you know anywhere in the United States, they wouldn't normally necessarily associate the word value 
with, you know, with the drug industry. And f- from that perspective, in me, just sitting here in Philadelphia, I think that's a great thing going forward. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, the, the, the concerns about the drug industry that are out there in the public all have to do with the high prices in a sense that, that there's no control, there's no response to those prices, and, and people, consumers, are stuck paying the price tag, both for the prices of individual drugs they may purchase, but in also in the way it plays through in the overall cost of their health care. Right. And so I think that is what this proposition is about, whether it's someday we, we consider a more regulatory approach to this or whether the market-based mechanisms can succeed in figuring out a way to, when a company comes out with a product that really isn't any better than the products that came before, we need to be able to say no to those products in some way or another, whether, again, through through a regulatory mechanism, through an insurance mechanism, or through a consumer uh, choice mechanism. I mean, the, we can yeah. all disagree on sort of how you get there, but, but the idea is we've got to get there. We've got to be able to say when there's a good drug that really does make a difference, that's something yeah. where you know, that we want to encourage and we want to see people using and where there are drugs that really don't create much of an advance, um, that's the ones we need to avoid. Jack, thank you very much for your time. Patricia as well, thank you very much for, for coming on and joining us today. Thank you both. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.